This is John with Catholic for Rednecks. Thank you for dropping by the podcast. I'd like to introduce you, my friend, Eric from Iowa. Good morning, Eric. No, no, I'm from Kansas. Kansas. What's the Kansas, difference? man. What is the difference? Uh, about 300 miles. Okay. Oh, well, I've been to Kansas one time. Well, I've been to Kansas more than once because I lived in Oklahoma. But I have flown over Iowa at night, and it was kind of like flying over Mississippi. Uh, I didn't see any lights. Well, you got to fly over a big city like Wichita to see lights, maybe even Salina. Oh, okay. But if you... If you point at the map of the United States and try to find the very middle of the U.S., you'll find right near where I'm at. Okay. All righty then. So I'm glad I got to hook up with you. And um, I met Eric on Facebook, I believe, which I'm no longer yep. on. But I have a Catholic for Rednecks page there with about 30,000 followers. But it's not a really active page for it used to be but about two years ago i guess i got in trouble with the powers to be at facebook and they put a shadow band on it i used to post something on there and get thousands of likes um and, and get millions of views in a, in a month and then it just went away but i met you and uh to be honest with you i think sometimes when i would post something you might have come at it from a more um, centrist point of view. In other words, at the time that I met you, I was probably more what they call uh, leaning towards the very traditional side of the church. And maybe you were coming from the middle. But just go ahead and tell everybody about yourself and, and uh, about your faith and what's on your heart today. Well... <clears throat> I'm a cradle Catholic. I'm not the best Catholic by far, but uh, we always had conversations at home with mom and dad, and I was confirmed at the young age of 10 or 11, would have been 1976. And uh, <clears throat> I remember having a conversation with dad where he was explaining to me that confirmation was when I took the yoke of my faith on my own shoulders hmm. and then high school came along and I, I I've always believed but it's been a struggle you know being in the world or of the world and and then I went to college and kind of fell away but I still had belief I'm I can't be anything else. I am Catholic from the tallest hair on my head to the soles of my feet, but I struggle every now and then I have doubts, but the church I claim is a traditional Mexican church. Uh, it's not a rad trad parish by any stretch, but, and we moved quite a bit when, when we were kids dad uh, getting different jobs we lived in illinois and we went to st luke's 
And it was a big, beautiful church. I have some memories of that from when I was six. And then we went to St. Mary's and I, in sixth grade, I went to Catholic school. Let me tell you, that's a good education. When we got done with that one year of Catholic school, we could, we were far better prepared for education than any of the public school kids. It made high school so much easier, just sixth grade. And, you know, we, we went to CCD and like I said, we had conversations with our folks about religion and apparitions and prayers and the Bible. And then we moved to Texas, you know, the church, St. Luke's in Illinois was kind of, as a kid, I remember it being a little stuffy. (laughs) (laughs) And then we went to Texas and we went to a church that had a lot of Latinos and it was very welcoming, very, uh, they had a, they had good CYO and we were very active and that we were only down there for a year. That year really changed my politics. In 1976, I was a con, uh, liberal, you know, from the Chicago political machine. But it changed my politics, and I've been a conservative ever since seventh grade. And uh, But that parish down in, it was St. Francis of Assisi in Lancaster, Texas. And uh, it was awesome. And then we moved to, to Kansas. And the first church we went to was Our Lady Guadalupe because the town I live in has two churches. We've only got about 18,000 people in this town, but we have two Catholic churches. And so the first week we went to our OLG, and then the next week we went to St. Mary's. St. Mary's was kind of like St. Luke's was. It just seemed, it's a beautiful church but it just seemed stuffy and our lady seemed more like St. Francis of Assisi. And so we, we, we picked OLG as our home parish and that was in 1978. So, you know, we've been in Kansas ever since. And, uh, you know, we had CYO there, but a lot of the activities in CYO They are more about activities as opposed to continuing our education in our faith. Eric, for the that's out there, could you kind of tell us what CYO means? Because I've never heard that. Um, CYO is Catholic Youth Organization. Okay. It's for teens because CCD generally has been for... uh, elementary school kids and then when you get into high school they you can join cyo i don't even know if they still have it but it seems like and you know i have a niece and a nephew who are in their mid-20s and i don't know if they went to cyo and you know they've kind of fallen away since they turned of age well one of them has he married a Mennonite girl who's a sweetheart, but ah, uh, they it's difficult 
to uh, continue your education in your faith without, uh, you know, a church organization leading it. And that's one thing that a lot of Catholics like about the Protestants is the Protestants have active community organizations and activities. And I think Catholics struggle with that. And it's a, you know, when I was at college, I kind of hit and miss with the, uh, what, what was it called? Uh, St. Pius, uh, youth group for colleges or whatever it's called. I can't think of it now. That's 35 years ago. Good golly. But, uh, I don't know. I suppose I'm a bit of a bit of a redneck. Not quite. I'm kind of more white trash. <laughs> <laughs> All that term times myself. But uh, I, I once named my internet connection White Trash Central. So, uh, but you know, I've been to college. I'm not a complete moron. And I, the two things I love to discuss are politics and religion. And I am very much interested in Catholicism, learning the truth of the history and promoting correction of the misinformation that Protestants like to say. Uh, yeah. What, Eric, would you think maybe you could come up with the like top two or three objections you would have, you know, I, I grew up here in Alabama and there's hardly, you know, by comparison with other places in the world, very few Catholics. We've got way over a thousand churches here locally, maybe 1500 or more churches. And we probably have 20 I'm talking about a group of five county area where where uh, where I live that's got give or take a million people. I mean, it's no Atlanta, but it's it's not a uh, country village either. <laughs> but we've only got about twenty Catholic churches for maybe a million people in five counties. So to yeah. be to be Catholic here is um probably by accident or divine design one of the two because it i've said this before if i was to go with a camera and do interviews at the mall or at the ball game and ask your average joe what catholic church believed they probably would not be able to tell me so what's your guess what do you think are like one two or three of the main misinformation points that you like to address or that, that get stuck in your crawl? Uh, there's a bunch. Uh, one is the whole argument against the Eucharist. And if you read John chapter 6, I believe that's the chapter. <clears throat> he Jesus pretty much says, if you don't eat my body and blood, you have no life in you. That's number one. Number two is their complaint about the Pope. Protestants tend to think that the Pope is bossing us around and telling us how to live our lives in every way. And he's our faith leader. 
we can have whatever politics we want, but he's our moral guide, not our political guide. He's not our king. He's our faith leader. He is the vicar of Christ on earth, and he's generally a very wise man, even if some people don't like him. Um, the whole objection to Mary, the whole objection to confession, the Bible, the Bible explains so much of this, and that's something that I'm learning. I've spent a lot of the last 35 years learning what I thought I knew or should have known about my faith. And it's hard. And sometimes, you know, I'll sit there and I'll start thinking of worldly things or listen to something someone says politically or philosophically. And I'll ponder that for a while and I'll have doubts that creep into my head. And then it's a constant struggle to, to try to have an opinion that is opposed to what I believe and then correct myself for it. That's another complaint I have about Protestant ideas is I have a lot of conversations with a lot of different people in my life. I love a whole bunch of Lutherans. I do. My brother-in-law's family is all Lutheran. And they're awesome people, and they love the Lord. But <clears throat> a lot of Protestants seem to have a brick wall in their brain where they cannot accept a Catholic idea. They have this constant resistance to Catholicism and Catholic teaching. It's like they can't have two ideas in their brain at the same time. They have their protestant views and beliefs and traditions now that protestantism is 500 years old and they have these ideas and if you say something catholic to them it's like it hits the brick wall and bounces out of their brain it's like they can't put them put both ideas in their brain and weigh them against each other and that's rather frustrating and you know, I was doing some, I had a discussion with my cousin's husband and uh, he was talking about Francis and uh, his trip to Malta, where apparently they decided not to have the papal seal uh, displayed on a podium. And uh, we ended up talking about that visit. And it was all based on an article in, uh, oh, I can't remember the magazine, but it was by an Islamic specialist, you know. Uh, anyway, he, he was, a, he's a Copt, a Coptic Christian. And I did a lot of searching on that, and I discovered that Coptic, Christians claim their lineage from St. Mark or St. Luke. So they've kind of split there. And that was apparently about the year 457 AD. So there's been division in the church for a long time. And we're supposed to be one church. And the Catholic church, in my opinion, 
from all the reading I've done and read, you know, study that I've done. The Catholic Church is the one true church. And people that deny that and use their own opinions and want to be their own pope and find a religion that allows them to do things based on their opinion instead of the will of God is bothersome. And I'd like to see us all become one church again. Let me ask you a question, Eric. Um, you know, just the very word Protestant means to protest. Uh, for instance, yeah. my granddaughter was over here after church, and my wife was trying to get her to eat, you know, regular food before giving her some dessert. And she raised Cain. She did not want to eat like even two bites of something that was just decent for her. I mean, she pitched a fit. You know, she was resistant to it. And finally, my wife was able to, you know, get her to have two bites before she had her cake or ice cream. But protest, it just seems like it's in their spiritual DNA to resist authority. And I, I, I noticed that about my non-Catholic friends. They claim that their only authority is the word of God, period. But then when you show them a scripture from their source of authority, they still want to protest and reject that scripture that they just claimed as their sole authority. And I was yep. wondering what year have you had experiences like that before and how you navigate through them? Well, you did a couple podcasts about what <laughs> my uh, complaints are about in that area. And one of them was your recent one about is your current church like the original first century Christians? And, you know, the other one is the Bible. The Bible was just being written after, I mean, it, the Bible didn't exist as a book until the late 300s, and they didn't start writing it until about the year 40 or later. Uh, Paul writes about James the Great, who happens to be my confirmation saint, being martyred beheaded in Spain and uh, you know they it's like they have denial about the truth and that's bothersome it really is and you know I laugh every time you say that the Southern Baptists think that Jesus ascended into heaven and said here here's my book he didn't say that you know the church went at least 10 to 15 years before they even started writing the Bible. And then after 1500 years, they start reinterpreting it and Protestants love Paul. And so do Catholics, but Catholics love Peter and Paul. And we don't forget that Jesus changed his name from the first meeting said, you will now be called Simon Peter. And then he did it again at Caesarea Philippi. 
Caesarea Philippi. And it's an awesome story. And to deny that is relatively foolish. But even Paul says, if you read uh, a lot of the different books that Paul wrote, he talks about the one true faith, being of one faith, the Eucharist. I mean, it's amazing. I'm, I have never been really big on reading the Bible. I own five or six or ten, many different translations, including the Douay Reims and the RSV and St. Joseph's. But I really didn't start reading the Bible until recently. I just did a lot of reading uh, in other ways, you know, from priests online and uh, religious articles. But I've always enjoyed it. <clears throat> um, but there's a lot of things Protestants miss, and they do protest. And, you know, the Catholic Church has been correcting error since virtually day one whether it be the Jews uh, and the Gentiles in circumcision or eating meat or the uh, different schisms that have been started. And thank God we had saints that stood up and defended them like Augustine and Aquinas and Arrhenius and Athanasius. I mean, they're pretty awesome. But there's always been somebody to come up and defend the faith. Let me ask you, you, you made me think of something as you were talking there. And I hate to interrupt you. I just want to just maybe think of this. You know how you're driving down the interstate and you want to change lanes and how many times you started to change lanes and then you just noticed there was a car there and what we call your blind spot. I mean, yeah. you look to your right, you look in your rear view mirror and it looks good. And then you start changing lanes and somebody lays on their horn and gives you the finger and they were there the whole time. You just couldn't see it from the way your car is designed. I mean, you look in your rear view mirror, you look to your right and it's clear as far as you can see because of the design of your car and the, and your position as a driver, right? And yeah. that blind spot, I think, is something that a lot of non-Catholics have. It's not really their fault. They're they're driving the car they were born with and set up a certain way, and they're looking a certain way, but they have this blind spot, and within that blind spot, there's a lot of history and tradition, they don't even know is there. They have no yep. clue that what we just talked about, you talked about the early church and when the actual Bible came into common knowledge, um, all these things that we know, the dogmas of the Catholic church are in their blind spot. And they are. When you bring them up, you get the horn blown at you. <laughs> so to speak. Go and on. then you've got the seven books of the Bible, the, the, the deuterocanonical books, which they call the Apocrypha. And then we go and, along with them and call it that too. And that just irritates me. It does me too. But like 
the Lutherans, you know, I talked about my brother-in-law's family. They read from those books, but they're not part of their King James Bible, but they also, they know they exist, but they, they question whether they're divinely inspired. And that all comes, you know, that's been explained the difference between the, the Jewish differences there's the Hebrew Bible, then there's the Greek Bible, the Septuagint, and the fact that even the Jews had differing opinions among, you know, prior to Jesus, they had differences. Right. You've got the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they didn't agree. So there's always been differences, even in the Jewish faith. And if if you study politics and religion, you know, if you've ever heard of, uh, uh, what's his name? Doggone it, I got brain locked. John, uh, he was a political thinker in the 1400s, 1500s. Calvin? And no, uh, politics, not religion. Oh. This would be a uh, doggone it. Uh, Thomas Jefferson borrowed his idea of uh, for the Declaration of Independence of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, but anyway, in the 1400s, we started having political revolution. We had people realizing that, hey, I don't have to be a serf and obey kings and queens anymore. We can have political liberty on our own. So it was inevitable that religious liberty became big in the 1500s. Yet, if you think about it like that. That's a good, that's a good insight. Uh, John Locke. He's a, he was a political philosopher in the 1400s. John Locke. And, you know, people like that. I just read an article here to, this morning from Catholic Answers about freedom and not letting freedom become your God. And, you know, I, I've got dogs. Well, I have a dog now. I lost two last year. But I'm constantly reminding myself not to make my dogs my God. And not to let my job be my God, not let money be my God. And we get lost in that a lot. And it's a big idea to think about. <clears throat> uh, you know what I'm saying? God is supposed to be God. You know, our, our top worry, our top belief. You know, God, country, family, you know, that whole idea. Yes. But God is always first or supposed to be. And we, I think we fall away from that and let the world control us more than we should. Well, I know from my life, I can be praying my rosary and listening to some good Catholic podcast and and I'll turn on the TV and put it on 
Fox News or CNN, <laughs> and all my priorities just go down the gutter. I get so mad and upset, and you know, I start focusing on on the wrong thing. And um, it's easy to do. Yeah, it is so easy to do. It's being human. What is being easily distracted? What is would you say is the number one pull that the Catholic Church has on your heart? The number one thing that just keeps you anchored in instead of just leaving for another uh, trendy denomination or school of thought? What is it that is your honing signal that just keeps you grounded? Well, I think the Catholic Church is the truth. I think they have authority. They have the Eucharist. They have the sacraments. They have... Oh. Oh, I just had a thought. You know, you asked what my issues with Protestantism Protestantism is and one of the big ones is is over interpretation of the Bible they they often pick a verse and I've got a lot of Christian friends on Facebook and they'll post something with a Bible verse and I'll bring up a Bible and read that verse and I go hmm what's it say before that and what does it say after that and then I I comment usually but if you read the whole chapter, it kind of tempers your quote, you know, your selected verse, and it may change the meaning of those words. Uh, the Catholic Church uses the whole Bible, not just a verse at a time. And I love that. And that helps keep me, that helps me understand the truth of the faith. You know, it's not my opinion. It's God's opinion that matters most. And yeah, I struggle with that. <clears throat> On some days are worse than others. And it's a struggle to what it, uh, who was it? Mother Teresa said, or St. John Paul too, that you have to, you have to be less to let God be more, something similar to that. I have to decrease so that God can increase. And, you know, most of my best friends are agnostic or Protestant. Uh, most of them are agnostic. They're not sure what they believe, but they're not religious. And so... <laughs> Thank goodness they tolerate me when I are on and on. <laughs> They're well, very patient. I like what you said a few minutes ago about people just, you know, speaking of scripture. And the first one that comes to my mind when we talk to our non-Catholic friends about Mary, you know, Mary bugs non-Catholics, just to put it bluntly. There's something about her or the way we feel about her that gets under their skin. There's just no way around it. They can they they get upset about Mary. 
but back to what you said, they love them some Apostle Paul. You can go to a yes any Christian bookstore, yes, and and they'll have and when you loads of when you think about what I said about the cops, the Coptic Christians, yeah, they put Saint Mark at the top of their little pyramid, mm-hmm. and the Protestants put Saint Paul at the top of their pyramid. And Catholics put God at the top, Jesus at his right hand, and Mary at his right hand, and the Holy Spirit flying above everybody. That's a good so a good visual for me. <laughs> it is. You're and right. There's artwork that shows that. Yes, I'm thinking of him. As soon as you said that, I can think of exactly where I know that image is here in town. But you know, Eric, I, I used to work for EWTN. And I worked in security on the night shift. And I would work um, 12 on, 12 off at night. And my partner was a Southern Baptist. And he had been to a uh, neutral seminary. And he had been working at the network for years. Are you familiar with Father Mitch Pacqua? Where's the white cowboy at? Okay. He was real close to Father Mitch. And I'm wondering how can this good old Southern Baptist boy hang around with Father Mitch hours at a time and be in this environment and not be Catholic? And so I sort of asked him that in a roundabout way. And, you know, he was just, he told me he's hung up on us being hung up on Mary. And he said that he just had worked at the mass there on uh, EWTN and they had a guest priest minister, and he said all he did was talk about Mary. I mean, the whole song yeah. was Mary, 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 Mary. And he said, and I just, you know, just, I, he said, I just can't handle that. And I said, okay. I said, oh, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist myself. And, you know, they had something back then before it went out of business called the Southern Baptist Bookstore. It was big here, like a Walmart. <laughs> and, <laughs> You know, you would walk in there to look at Christian books, Bibles, T-shirts, whatever. They would have row after row of bookshelves about the Apostle Paul. Figurines, pictures, paintings of the Apostle Paul. You wouldn't see one thing about the Virgin Mary in that place. But they had their own thing about Paul. And I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard in a Baptist or non-denominational church where they talked about Paul, 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 Paul. And when I told him that, he looked at me like I just slapped him with a cold (laughs) rag. And he said, well, Paul did write most of the New Testament. He did. Uh, He said, you're right. He said, you're absolutely right. I have never realized that. So you just said it. But he said, there ain't a damn thing uh, that I can say against what you just said, because you're absolutely right. So it's okay to magnify the ministry of Paul. You know, Paul told us to to, uh, follow him as as he followed Christ. But if you said that about Mary. And that's just it. Mary has always been about magnifying God. And the Bible does not say, you know, there's a common phrase, how to, who says that everything has to be in the Bible? 
even John, that last verse of the, I believe it's the gospel of John says everything that Jesus did would fill the world with books. Right. That's not the exact quote. I'm very bad at quoting, but I can paraphrase the snot out of it. I'm Catholic. I can't quote you chapter and verse, but, uh, that there's nothing in the Bible that says we can't that Jesus can't use Mary or Paul to bring us closer to Jesus. And that's the whole point of the saints and the apostles and their disciples is they help us understand what we struggle with in the Bible to bring us closer to Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, I mean, you like confession. You know, that's another big problem with Protestants is they can't justify telling anyone their secret sins. Even if they read it out of the Bible. Even if they read it out of the Bible. Yeah. But if you think about psychology, confession is in line with good psychology. It is to actually have somebody say Jesus forgives you. Why do non-Catholics and cathartic and awesome to take the weight off your shoulders? It's something you can't always get if you just, well, I'll just pray to Jesus. But they struggle to understand that. And, you know, you mentioned in another podcast that they used to confess to each other, like the Bible says. But Jesus gave priests the authority, priests and bishops, the authority to bind and loose. What I think is non-Catholics, they had this thought, to sum up their religion is I don't have to do that. I don't have yeah. to submit. My brother, Hank, <laughs> bless his heart. I hope my nephew listens to this. But um, my brother, Hank, my brother, Terry, we were born and raised Southern Baptist. Uh, my brother passed away a couple of years ago. He was a police officer and, and uh, died. But um, we were having a debate about Catholicism. And I really believe had my brother lived a little bit longer, he would have fell in the creek, so to speak. Um, he was getting close. He'd have crossed the Tiber. Yeah, he would have. He would have. Because my brother, my brother Hank, um, he was a very, very smart guy, a logical guy. Once you start getting logical with religion, what makes sense, it's a no brainer. But he, um, he was mad about the Pope, like everybody is, Catholics included. And he says, well, I don't have to listen to a, a bunch of, a, we were talking about birth control. As a matter of fact, we were talking about birth control. He says, well, I don't have to listen to what a bunch of old men at church have to say about anything. All I have to do is obey the Bible. And I said, okay, Hank, read Hebrews 13, 
16 out loud to me. Just pull it up on your iPhone and read it. I believe that's the reference. And it says, submit and obey your elders in the church, for they watch over your souls. And he hung up the phone yeah. on me. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just burnt him up, you know, and he read out of his own Bible where we are to obey our authority. And they just have a problem with, um, and we all do, not just non-Catholics. I have a problem with it myself. I don't like being told what to do by my wife or by my boss or by my client. I just don't like it. But uh, Eric, you got to. I, I agree. There's too many bosses in the world. I, I can't stand being told what to do. I got to wrap this up. But uh, Eric, I want to ask you, it's been great talking to you. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to have you on again. But let me ask you this, okay? Um, if you could never go back to the Catholic Church to attend the Mass again, I mean, for some reason, maybe you're stranded on an island in the Pacific, or maybe uh, you've been captured, whatever. And you cannot ever. Like I'm a prisoner. Yes. And you know that you'll never see the inside of a Catholic church or hear a mass again. Tell me what that would do to you. What would you miss the most? How would you feel? How would I feel if I was. Well. I don't know, you know. I ponder, you know, I think that this is weird to say, but I think the easiest thing for me to do would be to die for my faith. I mean, I struggle, but to be a, to die a martyr would be kind of awesome. The ultimate sacrifice in belief in Christ. But if I couldn't go to church, I hope I would be like, uh, who was it, Maximilian Kolbe that was in the uh, German camps, or uh, like uh, there's a local hero priest um from pilsen kansas uh <laughs> oh, i love it when my brain shuts down on me <laughs> he's <laughs> he's up for for sainthood he was in world war ii or vietnam or i can't remember now but uh <laughs> myself when i get off of here uh again what's his name uh he was a <laughs> he was a chaplain in the military and uh he died in prison and uh oh i would miss confession in the eucharist i would i've actually kind of thought about this before because you know we have priest shortages and Persecution is rising, particularly in Africa and Islam, you know, the Middle East. And if I was 
separated from any civilization and the Catholic Church, I think I would just try to have my own little service and pray. And, you know, that's the one thing about the rosary that's beautiful is you don't have to have a, a handful of beads to pray the rosary. You can count it on your fingers. You can, you know, Catholics, for the most part, we don't, we, we can't quote the Bible, but we know the Bible. And I would probably sit there and hope that I would still be faithful. But I would, I would miss it because that's a lot to be missed. You know, it is awesome when you can go to confession and be forgiven. And it is awesome to follow what Jesus said in the Bible, to eat his body and drink his blood. And it's not cannibalism. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of uh, organ music. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw your video of a couple of masses that you recorded there at the end. And I hear that organ music and I'm like, yeah, that's the stuff I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminds me of a funeral march as opposed to uh, praise music. I'll pass but, all of Jeremy for you. Well, Eric, I have really loved hear hearing you share. You have a really good heart and a very, very quick mind, and I appreciate our friendship. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this show up, get started uploading it. I've got a busy day ahead, but I sure do thank you for being on the podcast, and I look forward to having you again, okay? Okay. I was very nervous. <laughs> you sounded good. I'll talk to you later, brother. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.